Hi friends, welcome to our podcast, The Albecchio Show. This podcast covers technology, business and sport, my happy trifecta. This podcast will see an array of guests and friends feature and share their stories, educating us both in the process. Today I'm chatting with Neil Benson. For those who are unaware of Neil's backstory and accomplishments, he's a long-standing Microsoft MVP and certified Scrum Master. He runs the Customary Academy, is also an author as well as a course and content creator. Fun fact, Neil kindly invited me to guest on his podcast, Amazing Applications, available on all main streaming platforms earlier this year. I'm delighted that I'm finally able to repay that favour. I've been dying to quiz Neil about his achievements and objectives for the future. Good morning, Neil. Thank you very much for joining me from sunny Brisbane, I've no doubt. How are you doing? Hi, Emma. I'm great, thanks. It's um, it's not quite sunny yet. It's, uh, it's just before dawn. So. <laughs> <laughs> the sun will come up during our chat this morning. Absolutely. I was going to say it's a crack of dawn, surely, based on the time difference. Yeah, no, I appreciate you staying up late for me as well. It's great to chat to you. My pleasure. Yes. Um, as I've kind of mentioned in the intro, it's um, about time I've returned the favour. You kindly had me on as uh, one of your guests on the amazing applications podcast you host. So thank you again for that. And I'm delighted to, uh, to have you on board today. Oh, it's my pleasure. We got a great reception whenever you joined us on, on my show. So yeah, absolutely. I'm dying to return the favour and appear on yours and, and yeah, catch up with you and see how you're going. Well, that said, the pressure's on me. I suppose for my audience, in case anyone's been living under a rock and doesn't know so much about who you are, can you take us back to where your career began? So you first qualified as a Microsoft MVP back in 2010, if my research is correct. Yeah, that's right. Why Microsoft and why Scrum? What motivated you to pursue these avenues? Just before that happened, I was running my own business. It's called Increase CRM. We're based in, in Richmond and West London. And I was delivering a project for a customer up in the Midlands called Premier Medical Group. And they were a contact center, that a couple hundred people in a contact center looking for a new CRM application. Mm-hmm. And Dan, Barber and I spent a couple of weeks meeting all their team writing hundreds of pages of requirement specification and delivered it to Debbie, who was their operations director and project sponsor. And she threw it out. She, she hated it. It was <laughs> far, far too much jargon. And did, she didn't understand any of the technical terms. We, we didn't think it was that technical. Um, and it was hundreds of pages long, but she thought we'd missed important requirements. And it was very ambiguous. And she, she didn't want to wait 18 months, which is what we suggested it would take to build this application, all the data migration, custom offline client for some of their staff. She wanted it much quicker. She wanted to see iterations as they built it. And I panicked. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I had read about Scrum in a magazine and I decided to, to switch. So I pitched the idea of Scrum to Debbie and her board of directors and they went for it. They were pretty happy with this kind of agile approach. But obviously, I didn't have enough experience to run a Scrum team, so I partnered up with another Microsoft partner, and our Scrum Master was a chap called Paul Fox at, at Cyber. And between us, Increase CRM and, and Cyber spent about 12 months delivering a, a, an amazing application for uh, Premier Medical Group. They were really happy in the end. And we had this custom offline document synchronizing uh, client for their doctors, and it worked really well. And in fact, they got acquired by Capita partly based on the strength of the technology platform that we built for them. And so that was my first taste of agile CRM software development. And it was amazing. So I've been using it ever since then. 
Probably sounds like a thousand years ago when you recall it like that. You've um, you've achieved <laughs> so does. much in such a short time since then. Well, that was with CRM 4.0. So yeah, it's, you know, a long time ago. That was 2008 or 2009, something like that. So yeah, it feels like, it feels like a lifetime ago. Gosh, yeah, I bet, I bet. So you, you touched on living in the UK and having worked there in the Midlands. You have ties to Ireland from our previous conversations, which I know, and now you're based in Brisbane, as I mentioned. I know we've spoken about this previously, but you're quite the traveller. But can you share with us how you've come to be in, in your current location and, and all the trials and tribulations in between? Sure. So, yeah, I grew up in, in Belfast, Lisbon, just outside Belfast. Uh, still got some family there and up on the north coast of Northern Ireland in Portrush. And I miss it and, and love it. But I went to Edinburgh University as a kid. So I was 18, left home, went over to Edinburgh to read biochemistry. And Edinburgh's an amazing city as well. So I spent seven or eight years living there. And was working there in a bank, the Royal Bank of Scotland, when I met this amazing woman who is from Brisbane. She was backpacking around the world. She was, um, her parents were Danish, she was Australian, and she'd just come from Denmark, landed in Edinburgh for a few months. We met, we caught the bus in and out of work, and one thing led to another. We ended up getting married, and I always knew I'd end up coming back to Brisbane with her, but we stopped off in California for a few years first. So 2012 to 2015, we lived in just outside LA, um, two little kids there, another one when we arrived here in Brisbane in 2015. Um, and here we are, we settled down and loving the, the life here in Australia. It's a fantastic country and that the weather's amazing, obviously compared to growing up in Ireland. Um, so yeah, we are loving it in, in Brisbane. Cool, that sings to me. I'm, I'm such a traveler at heart and yeah, your wanderlust continues. You've recently got back from the Microsoft MVP Summit in Redmond, Washington. Can you share with us mere mortals what that experience is like for people that aren't MVPs? It is amazing. So we, I've been every year since 2010, other than uh, when there was no face-to-face -face MVP summit during the pandemic. And it's just an amazing opportunity to go and meet all your peers. So the MVP community is about three or 4,000 people uh, worldwide across all the different categories. I'm in the business applications category. Uh, there are 400 and about 440 people in that category and they're all the most generous lovable people you, you could possibly hope to meet you know these are uh, peers who have been blogging and podcasting and creating videos and creating free applications and supporting people in the forums and they're all they're amazing nerds really and uh, you're hanging out with, with geeks for a week and uh, just you know the, the kind of um, soulmates in a, in a way a lot of them I've known for a long, long time. There's, there's several people who've been in the Microsoft MVP award program way before me and I catch up with them. So it's really that chance once a year to rub shoulders with these folks and, and get to meet them in person. Mm -hmm. As well as that, you've got all the presentations from the product group at Microsoft. So these are the, the leaders who are working on the next generation of features and applications. So Charles Lamana is there giving a keynote speech for the business applications MVP. Scott Guthrie is there. He's the uh, his title is corporate vice president of, of Azure, the Microsoft Cloud. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, really senior people extolling their vision for where their products are headed over the next kind of 12 to 18 months. Um, it's probably no surprise, I'm not giving away any Microsoft trade secrets to say there were a lot of sessions about um, artificial intelligence and uh, the Microsoft co-pilots that are coming to the various applications. Um, but then they do actually disclose quite a lot of secrets about the details of where the products are headed wanting to get feedback and some of their design ideas and so those sessions are just are just gold and they're always amazingly keen to hear from mvps of 
one thing about Microsoft product managers is they don't seem to get out to meet a lot of customers. They get feedback, I'm sure, from salespeople at Microsoft. They get feedback from some customers. They do have some customer forums. Um, there's some partner forums, and then there's the MVPs, mm -hmm. support teams. And so they've got various sources of feedback, but they're always just so eager to hear real customer stories that, that we can share with them about deployments that we've worked on and projects. That we've... So it's a fabulous week. Um, you should go sometime, Emma. Well, I mean, MVP is a long way off, but it's, uh, yeah, I just kind of listen to you recount stories. That's, yeah, I, I can nerd out with the best of them. So, uh, yeah, really interesting. It's, um, I, I only hear good things from it. And again, it's rich in intel and, and kind of, again, people are gregarious and ready to hear all the feedback that yeah. good people like yourself have. Yeah, and I was really lucky this year. Uh, in previous years, I've tended to stay in, in one of the hotels in downtown Bellevue, which is a suburb near Redmond. But this year... I was lucky enough, some of the UK MVPs invited me to share an Airbnb house with them that was really close to the Microsoft campus. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a 10 minute walk um, to the building where most of the sessions were held and, and we got to hang out and, and got to know some of the UK MVPs a bit better. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Incredible. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's, uh, yeah, again, it's on the on the list of things to do, but uh, some way off for me at least. I suppose moving on slightly to your business, your day-to-day -day business, so customary. People may be familiar with the Customer Academy, which I see a lot of on LinkedIn. It's topical for me and Fortitude 17 because we have a training element as well. Um, we're actually in the process yep. of building our own training course um, aside from Dynamics. But what was the driver and inspiration for you in creating the Customer Academy? Oh, wow. So Customer is, is an idea or a, at least a domain name that I've had for quite a long time. 2009 when I was living in London and blogging. So I, I bought the customary.com domain name. And for a little while, while I was doing some freelance work in London, I had a business called Customary in the UK. Um, that closed up when we left to go to California. Mm -hmm. And I restarted that um, after I was leaving uh, a role at KPMG Australia and started another business, an Australian one called Customary again. And for a while, it was just me freelancing, doing um, project delivery work. But I had this desire to share my passion for Scrum. I'd like lots more business applications, folks, to learn about the benefits of using an agile approach. And so I was blogging about that. I was creating some videos and later on I created a podcast about it. Um, but the Customer Academy really was my way of, of teaching people the benefits of Scrum, how to use it, and really the, the proven practices that my teams have built up through all the experiments that we've done um, about how to apply it and be successful in a business applications project, whether it's a CRM or ERP or a power platform project. There are certain nuances to using Scrum, being successful with it, that I've found and I wanted to share. So you can go to, there's lots of great you know, professional Scrum trainers and certified Scrum trainers and take a two-day course. None of those amazing trainers know anything about Microsoft business applications. You can you'll get a blank look if you ask them. They would have heard of dynamic or power platform. Whereas on my course, uh, every time we, I teach you a lesson, for example, about product owners, I'll, I'll try and share with you some of the stories of what, what makes a great product owner and some of the projects I've worked that the product owner is a great example because uh, if you're working outside business applications, your product owner is quite often a professional product manager. That's their career, and they've got all the skills and capabilities to uh, fulfill that role. Mm -hmm. Whereas on our types of projects, you and I might work on, Emma, the product owner is quite often thrust into that position. <laughs> they, they come from a business role. They used to be the head of customer service or the sales manager or they're a marketing leader, and suddenly 
they're running a project team delivering a new business application. And that's not something they've ever done before. Yeah. That's something not something they're very comfortable with. Uh, and so I share with uh, the audience and the students uh, some techniques that help those product owners become successful. And um, stuff we wouldn't normally see uh, outside business applications when that person is a, is a career professional. Um, whereas the, the folks that we're working with, it's just an accountability they're going to hold for the duration of this implementation project and then they're going to go back to their day jobs. So there's things like that that we try and share in the Customer Academy. Um, so I've got a lot of free content on my podcast and videos and things, but there's uh, there's some uh, professional training courses inside there as well. Sure. Yeah, I, I would agree with your, your point there about people being thrust into the role of, of key stakeholder, let's say, or project manager on, on behalf of a business. I would say they kind of fall into three pots. You've got people that are semi-willing but scared to embrace it and are scared to put a foot wrong you have people that are almost unabashed in in kind of admitting they don't know but still go ahead and make all the decisions and then you have people that will engage and actually want to learn and be gregarious about it so um yeah it's uh, it's really interesting and i think for me i come from whilst i'm a test manager by trade now I've also underpinned that with being very hands-on in my role, very functional and hands-on, but also training in the art of project management and business analysis too, you know, and it's similar to Scrum. Yep. It, a lot of those skills I found have, have put me in good stead for continuing in the test manager role. So yeah, really interesting. Yeah. yeah so I'm um, excited to hear about your training course. What are you going to be uh, helping your students learn? It's actually something that was born out of lockdown. So as part of the pandemic, I you know probably a bit like yourself I'm you know I know Australia was quite stringent in its laws at one point but for me a lot of my friends and family that weren't furloughed they didn't have regular access to their IT teams in the company so they reached out to people that they knew in IT hence myself and whilst (laughs) I certainly don't know everything I do originally come from desktop support that was my first job in IT and and can kind of tinker around well enough to kind of get by at least point people in the right direction and it was quite apparent to me that people aren't self-sufficient. They know how to do their jobs. You know, they know how to kind of go on Excel and create a spreadsheet and do certain formulas. But actually, when it comes to, like, let's say older folk joining a family Teams call, it was way beyond, or Zoom call, way beyond their, their kind of remit as, as kind of non-IT folk, let's say. So the course actually is, is kind of four or five modules that really focuses on different skills. So it combines hardware and software, and it's really a beginner's course into IT. Um, it's called the Comprehensively Friendly IT Course. So see fit is, uh, is our slogan. But yeah, thanks for bringing that to light. It's something that we're actually going to bring to market in the next couple of months. And um, yeah, it's, as I say, completely aside from dynamics. But my kind of purpose in life is, and, and I probably the same for you, you know, I, I'm really big on educating people and bringing people up, you know, up to speed on things that, that actually can better themselves. And I'm sure you can attest to that. It's a lot of fun. We've had probably 3000 students come through Customer Academy so far. Exactly. Uh, so most of those are through the free course, the Agile Foundations course. Uh, about 600 come through the, the Scrum for Microsoft Business Apps course. And we're just about to hit 200, 200 people becoming certified at the end of that course, um, which is an amazing milestone. I'm really proud of that. And I get to celebrate um, their achievements on LinkedIn. So we've had a couple of people recently sit their professional Scrum Master um, level one certification exam and, and pass that. And you know, I get to celebrate that on LinkedIn. So it's, it's, a, it's a real thrill. And I'm sure I'll be just as thrilled whenever my mum completes your CFIT course yeah. confidently <laughs> and through my WhatsApp calls. But, you know, so, yeah, good on you. Appreciate you doing that. Yeah, oh, my pleasure. Yeah, and, and likewise, I think 
you know, in terms of actually upskilling people that are in a business position anyway, you know, not coming from kind of ground zero, let's say, they're actually around computers and systems and need to kind of get hold of a better way of working, you know, a more efficient way of working, then yeah, thank you for all that you do. I think it's um, agile something that I'm a big proponent of, as we've spoken about in the past. But I'm actually going to play devil's advocate now. My question to you, I know, so prepare yourself. So Agile is something you obviously speak about heavily and extensively for good reason in your academy content as well as on your podcast, as you mentioned. What is your opinion on using other methodologies from time to time? Are there any particular types of project where you'd recommend using a modality other than Agile? I have to admit it. Yes, I I would sometimes recommend a different approach. Mm -hmm. Agile, particularly the Scrum framework that I know, there's other Agile approaches. Uh, Kanban is a very popular one that I'm less, much less familiar with. Scrum itself is defined as a, a framework for building and sustaining complex products. If your product is not complex, then Scrum is not the right approach. For example, if it's a simple productivity app that you're building, and we'll, we'll stick to business applications. You know, there's lots of other types of projects, of course, but in terms of business applications, if it's a simple productivity application for yourself or for your team, maybe something you're going to build in Power Apps, or it's a fairly standard implementation of Dynamics Marketing or Sales or Business Central, and you're not going to be doing a lot of extensions or customizations, then Scrum is not the right approach. If your implementation team is one or two people and you think it's going to last one or two weeks, Scrum's probably not the right approach. Um, so it's really that complex uh, side of things where it's a, considered an enterprise, mission critical, complicated application where you you know you're going to need a range of skills, three or four people, 10 people maybe, and the project to um, build the system or customize the system, you know is going to take several months, then Scrum might be the approach for you um, and your team. Uh, but it, it requires an agile mindset that not everybody has either. So, and this is where I get into philosophical debates with people about things like a hybrid approach. My personal point of view is, uh, it's it's very hard to take a hybrid approach because hybrid approach means somebody has invented an, a new approach and they've got it in their head and they very rarely document that what, what hybrid means. They certainly don't train the rest of the team what hybrid means. They just kind of wing it. And that's what I quite often see in a, in a hybrid approach. So, well, let's define all the requirements up front and then we'll build the application iteratively. And we'll, we'll call that hybrid. Well, it's not really because in an agile approach, you can't have defined all the requirements up front and can't be agile if you're sticking to a rigid requirement specification. Because in in agile, we're listening to user feedback all the time, every the end of every sprint. And if you've defined all the requirements, then you can take all that user feedback and throw it in the bin. So you're not you're not being very agile. <laughs> so so that's that's where I have a hard time people who say they want to do a, a hybrid approach. Um, but there are, are definitely some projects that are best suited to more traditional sequential approach where you can define all the requirements up front. If you're doing strictly, for example, a migration from an on-prem system to a cloud system and you don't want any of the features and functionality to change, well, maybe a maybe a, a traditional waterfall, dare I say it, waterfall approach is uh, the one for you. Um, if you're implementing Business Central in a really standardized way where you've got an industry template and you're deploying it for a small business very quickly, and you want your consultants just to follow a recipe that you find to be really successful, well then, you know, a traditional approach might might work in those situations. Where, again, it's just a very small team, two, one or two people uh, deploying Business Central in a week or two for a small business. So there's, yeah, there's definitely situations where 
Scrum is overkill and uh, Agile isn't a great approach, but all of the projects that I work on are complex, mission-critical enterprise business applications where my team uses Scrum. So um, I can't work in any other way. <laughs> I don't know about you. Yeah, very good. I mean, very comprehensive answer. You, you covered a range of things there that, that I've seen and witnessed and been party to on numerous occasions in terms of project experiences. Um, and, and I'm sure you won't be smited for saying that you can step outside of the agile box there. I think one thing that's kind of key for me, and you touched on it so eloquently, was around the hybrid approach. Now, I think one thing for me, people and projects will kind of be conceived with this idea in mind that we'll go down an agile route or a waterfall route, you know, depending on their their business processes and their methodology and I guess how antiquated they are in ways. However, as soon as scope creep changes, I find that that's where the hybrid element comes in. I don't know if you have a different opinion. So in a Scrum, when you're using the Scrum framework, there's no such thing as scope creep because you never had a fixed scope to begin with. Sure. Um, so we just have a, a set of items that the team needs to work on in order to meet the product owner's vision um, for what the application is going to do. So the product owner can change that list of items at any time and reorder them or add new ones or delete some of them. And if you want to call that scope creep, then sure. But that really, she should be doing that in response to stakeholder feedback. Um, so we are acting on what we're learning. And that's where empiricism comes in. So empiricism is this notion that it's impossible to know everything at the start of the project. And the only way that we're going to learn anything is by doing things and experiencing um, the, the art of building the application and getting feedback. And that's how we uncover the requirements. Um, we, we can't know, and, and users can't really express exactly what they're looking for um, until they see it. So you know, building an initial version of a feature, call it a prototype or an MVP or a proof of concept, we show it to them. Now they can see the feature coming to life. They can tell us what they love about it and what they don't, what needs to change. And you won't get that if you just try and specify everything on a piece of paper um, and ask a user, tell us what you need and what you want away and build it um, I just I find it doesn't work I mean you must have run acceptance testing um, phases of a traditional project and it all begins to fall apart because it's the first time the users have seen it and they don't really like it I'm sure those those uh, scenarios have popped up in your career just the once or twice yeah I, I think firstly <laughs> I want to come back to your answer there if, if there are any agile deniers listening to this I think Neil's just giving you a handful of reasons as to why agile is a great approach as he says rightly so in a in a particularly kind of convoluted or difficult project you know anything that is any project that's due to rumble on for a few months or more i think it's yeah agile certainly is the best approach in neil's mind and, and also mine so yeah thanks for sharing that yeah i think emma you also get to the stage maybe i'm maybe i'm a bit stuck in the mud here but i i, can't, I couldn't switch back to a traditional approach I've been using the Scrum framework since 2008 on almost every project, bar one, mm -hmm. and it wasn't successful. Um, and it, it's kind of my default way of working now. I'm not sure I could ever go back and write a requirement specification and design everything from that and build it without, without ever getting any user feedback until the very end. So there are people who believe that they can switch. And this project I'm going to deliver using a traditional approach. And this project I'm going to switch and deliver it in an agile approach. Mm -hmm. I think the mindset required for each is, is quite different. And maybe people are got superhuman powers and they can do it. But I, I can't switch back anymore. I've kind of come through 
that in a, in a one-way trip and i'm an agile practitioner now and i don't think i could do it any other way but maybe you've you've worked with people who can switch have, have you seen that i have uh, and it's very much driven i would say by things like factors including budget the cio or whoever in, in the C-suite team is, is kind of in charge of the project or key stakeholder. I think for the majority of time, the projects I certainly work in, whilst I'd love to be able to have more of a say in, in the direction we took in terms of project methodology and you know, particularly agile, that's not always the case. I think my part and the part that I like to play is in terms of quality and the assurance we can provide the users. Um, it's really, that, that that's the kind of only agile element we can really factor into it. But based on that and, and because of our approach, I would say the amount of times that I will see new requirements come to the fore because they've not been captured properly due to the methodology, you know, they've just kind of been skipped, you know, early on in the sequence. It's it's something that is quite staggering. And as I say, it, you know, structure is so many things. I think growing up and the personal life I've led in terms of juggling study, work and football, I've had to be managed, you know, <laughs> no other way than perfectly with time so when it comes to being organized that's something that I love to bring into my work and, and professional capacity too so actually when we're testing I do involve the iterations I do recycle feedback I do incrementally increase uh, and improve our test suites and I think yep. honestly I think that iteration is key to success and one of my questions for you is have you ever come onto a project that is flailing I'll say and had more of a success story after you've come in and implemented your methodologies? Yeah, I've done a couple of uh, turnaround projects, not not recently. The, the last couple of years, I've been really working from a, from a green field where uh, we're the first team to come along and try to build this enterprise business application. We've succeeded at that. So uh, I'm thinking of um, actually we're going live next week with a, a superannuation fund. So it's like a, a retirement investment manager here in Australia. We're going down to Melbourne next week for their a big release. So I've been busy um, ordering cupcakes, Lego <laughs> minifigures, booking booking restaurants, and uh, all these kind of celebratory tasks on on the scrum board. Um, uh, so that that's been really successful. RACQ, the Royal Automobile Club of Queensland, another successful project here. Um, and, and there's you know, because on and on, they, they've been really good. In California, I worked on a couple of, I guess, turnaround projects where um, somebody had gone before us. At, either rolled out some features or started to, uh, the project and it wasn't going well. And my team took over and we switched from whatever approach had been used before into a full-blown uh, Scrum application. And uh, one of those was called Advantage Solutions. So, um, and <laughs> they have a really interesting business. They, their, their business is giving out free cheese, uh, basically. Okay. Uh, not just cheese, but you know, if you go to a supermarket, um, and Costco is a classic example, um, where there's somebody at a stall giving out samples. And it could be cheese, could be a new biscuit, could be a new candy or something. But um, organizing the right person in every store across a brand of a supermarket with the right products and, and the right kind of apron and the right kind of tablecloth. So maybe they need an oven or uh, all, all of these logistics and scheduling all of that, giving them the product and discounting it and coupons. It's um it's way more complicated than I had anticipated, and the organisation who organised all of those sampling events needed a system to help them do all of that. So um, they were customising Dynamics CRM, and that wasn't going very well at all. And we stepped in, we we switched it to a Scrum approach, 
and we worked pretty closely with the team who are doing all the scheduling of all these samplers in the supermarkets. And it, it still took about another 12 months before we were finished. But by the end of it, we had, we had a timesheet system, we had integrations with their finance system, and it worked really well. Another one before that was American Homes for Rent. We had about 30,000 single family residences across the United States. They were acquiring new homes all the time, uh, renovating them and then renting them to the kind of corporate landlord uh, business. They had uh, again dynamic CRM for a couple of dozen users. By the time we finished, it was about 800 users. Uh, they were doing everything in it from uh, property acquisition, managing the renovation process, and then, and then renting it. And uh, that was a great uh, scrum experience. I remember the vice president of what they call it, property rentals, whatever. So this is the team that rents out the properties. Came to us and said, look, we've got thousands of homes due to, the, the leases are due to expire in the next six weeks. Um, I'm going to have to hire hundreds of temporary staff in order to generate new uh, lease agreements, present those to the tenant and get them signed. What can you do? So we, we abandoned the sprint that we were in. The first time I'd ever cancelled a sprint, changed our sprint goal. We started a new sprint. And we spent three sprints. So these are two week iterations at building a automated leasing feature. So um, we used uh, an add-on called Documents Core Pack to generate the lease agreement based on what state you're in, uh, whether or not you had uh, pets. So there's a pet addendum and how long your lease was going to be, the price it was going to be at. We generated a document, we sent it to you uh, through click dimensions. You could sign it via DocuSign. And if you signed it, it came back into a SharePoint folder. Uh, and the whole thing was automated. We built all of that in six weeks and saved them millions of dollars in the cost of hiring every staff. I bet you're so a that's a great man. example. Uh, yeah, that, um, <laughs> it was a, pop, a popular team, I'd say. It wasn't, uh, you know, largely it was delivered by other people in my team. But yeah, it was a great example of being able to pivot really quickly. And our agile approach enabled that. I don't think we could have done that if we'd said, all right, well, let's, let's take a couple of weeks to specify all your lease renewal requirements. We just built it, showed them a bit, they loved it, and we kept going. Um, yeah, I, I think that kind of story, that kind of outcome is because of the approach that we took. I don't think we would have reached it any other way. Sure. I think it's fair to say you're um, you're quite the wizard when it comes to business applications. That's a, an incredibly impressive story. You know, working in those project environments, I can appreciate how stressful and how much pressure you would have endured during that six-week period. So, yeah, uh, kudos to you. That's quite some story. Um, yeah, the, I think the only small bit of talent I might I might have is is finding great people and setting them up with a great framework and then just getting out of their way. I don't I don't, wouldn't call, call myself a wizard. In fact, I was out last night when we had a, a reunion from the team at RACQ and the solution architect said, Neil, I can't believe the team you hired. I really had nothing much to do. They were they were designed the system so well, um, but as a solution architect, he had very little to do in terms of helping us get designs approved or, or help us think through some of the complicated challenges. We just had a great team and yeah, I've been very blessed with the folks I've got to work with. You're being very modest now, but that's uh, that's talent in itself. You know, I've, I've seen it in sport, the acquisition of great people and players. It's not an easy feat to get that balance. So, uh, yeah, kudos to you. Moving on, you know, and, and again, I, I think I'm fair to say in the, in the wizardry uh, column there, you've got, you know, you've been a, a Microsoft MVP since 2010. Am I right in, in reading that you've got 13 of those uh, accolades as well as being a certified Scrum Master? Yeah, the MVP award's a funny one because one year there was two. So you got two awards one year because they, they changed the renewal cycle from whatever it was, March to November. So we had, we had one in March and one in November. And then the next year we had none because they'd been given out the year before. So yeah, I think 13 
uh, you can go on the MVP website and, and check it out. There, you know, David and, and Julie, so David Yak and Julie Yak are, are good friends of mine. David's been a Microsoft MVP for 19 years. The MVP program, I think, celebrated its 30th year this year. So, And there are people who've got an award every year since it started. So I'm still pretty new <laughs> compared to some of those folks, but especially this year at Summit. I guess because it was the first in-person event for a couple of years, anybody who got awarded in the last couple of years was super keen to get to Redmond. And so I got to meet lots of newbies, people you know, who had received the award this year or the last couple of years, uh, who just pulled out all the stops to get themselves to Redmond um, and meet in person this year. So it's fantastic. You know, people who I've been admiring and following recently and got to meet them for the first time. So it's cool. Incredible. I have a question kind of following on from all your experience and things you've kind of witnessed as a, you know, as a scrum master. What are some of the misconceptions or challenges you come across when it comes to implementing either business applications or agile practices in organizations? How do you address such challenges? Oh, a couple of myths. There's lots of people who struggle with, with Scrum. And when, when you take a step back and look at what, what they're doing, they're quite often winging it. They, I'll give you an example. Recently on my LinkedIn feed, I posted about a senior director at Microsoft. He's in the fast track engineering team. Um, he stood in front of a room of MVPs and, and consultants, and people who've got a lot of experience deploying business apps and said, it's impossible to use an agile approach. Shouldn't be using an agile approach and business applications cannot be deployed using that approach. You can't be successful. It kind of broke my heart. I didn't, <laughs> I just kind of bit my tongue and I sat on my hands and tried not to scream at him. But, um, I posted this on LinkedIn. In fact, the, the gentleman who I was railing about jumped into the discussion. So fair play to him. He was he stood up and he owned it. Um, so he believed that although internally at Microsoft, they use an agile approach to create the business applications and all sorts of software companies are, are using agile approaches like Scrum and people are using it for all kinds of product development work, whether that's creating marketing campaigns or HR programs or political election campaigns or hardware devices or education curriculum. There's people using Scrum for all sorts of uses way outside of software development. So if they can build products um, using Scrum and if ServiceNow and Salesforce and UiPath and all these other business application vendors, they recommend using Scrum. How come this gentleman thinks that can't use Scrum for business applications? Um, I, I just didn't get it. And so, you know, despite all the success I've had, he kind of denied it. And I guess the reason for, for that, and I see it a lot with ERP teams, um, and you probably see this more than I do, but there's a perception with Scrum in particular, you should be releasing a new version of your application at the end of every sprint. So that every couple of weeks, you know, you're, you're in production. Well, the, the reality is if you're migrating from a legacy system, you can't just replace a bit of it. You can't do accounts payable one year and do accounts receivable the next year, you're going to have to wait until almost all of it is ready before you go live in production. And that's, that's happened to me in most of my big CRM projects um, is we're going live every couple of weeks into a pre-production environment, a staging environment, but we're not replacing the existing application until nearly all the features are done. And so we do these big bang releases, um, even though we've been taking an agile approach in its development. And so I think, you know, there's that misconception that you have to go into production at the end of every sprint, it's not quite true. And you can definitely save it up and then go into uh, production when it's nearly ready. And then quite often we have 
incremental releases after that. Um, so that's a, that's a big one, I think, and it sticks. It prevents a lot of ERP folks from considering an agile approach because they believe it, it can't work. Um, I'd love to work with more ERP teams to show them that it can work. Uh, it's a great, it's a great paper from McKinsey uh, talking about some of the agile success that they've seen, and I know it's a great finance operations teams who've used Scrum, but they're the the one percent of the one percent. I think that's a really interesting point. I know that certainly in my 10 years within the dynamic sector, the the times I've played party to agile or scrum environments has been very, very slim. I see it a lot in BAU teams, but I don't see it so much in transformation or implementation projects. And I primarily work with FNO, so the finance element, the big ERP system. But yeah. I think for me, and, and, and again, I don't really understand how us or you know people in tech can be so close-minded because you know <laughs> to, to kind of coin the perspective of the users that we support you know they're not always receptive to change and seeing that and obviously you're part of the implementation process of, of new software I don't understand how as, as consultants we can actually be quite as closed down as that to change you know for me it's you you have to be open-minded technology evolves at the rate of knots and and to kind of I found it so interesting to hear someone that's, you know, quite a, a figurehead at Microsoft to be quite close-minded, for lack of a better term. Yeah, you know, it's just I, I guess I'm I'm as close-minded as he is. <laughs> I'm just on the opposite side of the fence, saying it's absolutely possible. And a waterfall approach is the wrong way to do it. So <laughs> I guess we, we're both just digging our heels in in our respective camps. So I'm not I'm not going to criticize him for being closed minded, especially if he hasn't been given the opportunity mm -hmm. to work with a scrum team that were you know, properly trained, had certified, had a great scrum master coaching the team and coaching the product owner. If he hasn't had that opportunity, then you know, I can't blame the guy for thinking it, it, it's it's risky and it might not work. Um, yeah, it's this. You know, we all just we're all just a product of our experience. You've got to be careful what you say here because the mirror is flashing back at you right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of ways to be successful with a waterfall approach. I just I, I haven't seen it for a long time. Firstly, what advice would you give to any aspiring professionals that are interested in becoming Microsoft MVP, like myself, or pursuing certifications like Scrum Master? What steps can they take to excel in their careers and make a difference in the industry such as you have? So the, the MVP question comes up quite a bit. You know, I'm, I, I love the question. People quite often ask them. Other MVPs get it as well. How do I become an MVP? How, how can I become an MVP? My response is really pretty simple. I ask them which community contribution they're most proud of. Mm -hmm. Nine times out of 10, folks will go, don't know what you're talking about, what's a community contribution? And so that, that speaks volumes that there's a mystique or something about the MVP award that people aspire to, but it's really pretty straightforward. It's, a, it's an, an award that Microsoft gives to volunteers who they recognize as being uh, community contributors. What does that mean? Well, it includes people who write books, uh, blogs, people who create free content like YouTube videos, podcasts, um, people who are creating free tools or are providing great feedback to Microsoft. It's also the folks who are doing mentoring and, and training people at you know, user groups and delivering presentations at conferences. As long as it's an unpaid community activity, uh, I'm sure that's, that's just half the things you can do. There's a whole bunch of different categories of activity you can do. Um, answering questions on forums and um, maybe helping kids at your local high school start their ICT careers, uh, all those kind of activities, um, you can 
ask another Microsoft MVP or Microsoft employee to nominate you. And Microsoft will ask you to uh, keep a diary, as it were, of your uh, list of all your contributions. And after a period of time, normally you have to be pretty consistent for six to 12 months. Mm -hmm. um, you can submit that to Microsoft and they will consider making you, um, giving you the award. Um, uh, there are new MVPs awarded at the beginning of every month. And quite often, well, there's, there's two types of, of people I see awarded. People I've never heard of, don't know anything about their contributions. They go, wow, where did they come from? Amazing. And then the others are like, oh, it's so overdue. She has been awesome for years. I can't believe it's taken this long to get recognized. Um, and so although MVPs can nominate somebody else, um, we have absolutely no say in somebody's award. It's all taken care of internally at Microsoft, um, which is, I think, the way it should be. And it's a, it's a combination of a local, what do we call it, a community program manager, CPM. So that's somebody in your region. There's Claire Smith in the UK, for example. Um, I've got Elizabeth Papadalo here in Australia, New Zealand, or Southeast Asia, maybe. Um, and they, they're your kind of local representative. And then there are people in the product group at Microsoft in your category, in business applications, in my, in my case, who, and the, between the two of them, they, they consider your application and they also are responsible for your renewal um, and the reward every year as well. And so that's that, my advice to anybody is what are you most proud of? Go and find a community contribution style that lights you up. Um, and and do lots of that and begin to catalog that and connect with other people. So that work needs to become a little bit visible. There's no point hiding under a bushel and hoping to get a secret MVP award. And so one one criticism people have of MVPs is you know that they're attention seekers. And that's partly partly true because you know if, if your activities are secret then you're probably not going to get rewarded or recognized in the first. So that'll be my, my advice is to find something that, that energizes you and makes a big impact in your community and do lots of it. Sure. You don't have to be particularly technical. Alison in the UK is a great example. So she's a recruiter. I, I'm, I'm not very technical either these days. and I don't spend a lot of time you know, blogging about how to achieve XYZ in, in Power Apps or something. Alison's the same, but she is phenomenal at helping people build their careers in uh, business applications. She's a great speaker at user groups and very passionate, and runs user groups. Um, and makes a great community contribution that way. And you know, so there's lots of room for lots of different styles of MVP. Go for it, this is my advice. Lovely. Um, your other question was about becoming a Scrum Master or getting involved in Scrum. Go ahead, yeah. Shoehorn your own business in. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> thanks. First thing I think people need to decide is, do they want some kind of certification? You can, you can read the Scrum Guide. It's a 13-page open document, you can go to scrumguides.org and download that and read the Scrum framework. Trying to apply it is a lot harder than just reading a guide. Um, and I think it takes a combination of somebody coaching you. Um, so it's a, if you have a Scrum team that you can join, um, that, that's great. If you have a Scrum master who's got some experience, um, try and find an opportunity to join that Scrum team and learn Scrum by doing it uh, is phenomenal. The other thing you can do is take a training course and sit a certification exam to demonstrate that you've, uh, you understand the basic concepts. And so there are two certification bodies that I recommend, uh, Scrum Alliance and uh, Scrum.org. I prefer Scrum.org and that's the, um, the training uh, content that I, I deliver and I, 
help students pass the professional Scrum Master certification at the end of that, and that's from scrum.org. The reason I like that one is because I can deliver the training. I'm not a professional Scrum trainer. I'm not an official part of scrum.org, um, but I can help people achieve that certification because they can sit the exam without necessarily going on the two-day official training course. And so I've got my own flavor of the training course. Like I said, it's got these Microsoft practices um, added onto it. And so you're learning more uh, through my course than you might do uh, on a, a two-day training event delivered by professional scrum trainer. Um, you can sit that online exam. It's, I think it's about an hour. You've got an hour to answer 80 questions. It's pretty tough, 85% pass rate. You need to achieve 85% or more. So it's a multiple choice test and the questions are pretty tough. Um, in my course, I've got a practice exam. You can sit that a couple of times and it's, it actually uses the same exam engine, similar difficulty of questions um, that I've written myself. And uh, we have a 100% pass guarantee. So if you don't pass the exam first time, um, I'll give you another exam voucher and you can go and set it again once you, once you pass my practice exam again. And so that, you know, that's people have been really successful. That's just a basic kind of certification. Doesn't mean you've got a lot of experience with Scrum. You might not have worked on a Scrum team yet, but I think it's a great start and a great demonstration that you understand all the basics. So you know the terminology and the jargon. You won't be calling it a sprint showcase. We call it a sprint review. That's the that's the term that's described in the Scrum Guide. We don't call it a daily stand-up. It's called a daily Scrum, and there's a reason for that, and you'll learn about that in the course as well. So it's, it's those kind of basics um, that getting that PSM1 uh, demonstrates. I'd encourage everybody to start their Scrum career there, whether or not they want to become Scrum Master. It's, it's, it's not a great title uh, of the certification. In fact, I don't like the word Scrum Master. It's, uh, it sounds like something from Star Wars. <laughs> uh, Yoda is a Scrum Master. Um, there you go. I think he'd be a good one, Yoda, anyway. Of, of all the characters <laughs> you picked, yeah, Yoda's on the list. <laughs> I think it's, um, it's interesting you talk about the theory. For me, there's nothing like getting hands-on experience, but actually the theory that you will learn underpins a lot of what you'll go on to do. You know, at least you kind of have that theoretical framework set out in mind. And actually, we have something similar in the testing realm. It's called the ISTQB qualification, and it's um, you start with a foundation setting and you can yep. kind of move through the levels if you choose to. I think for me, it's it's again a similar format. So you, again, you can you can either self study or go away to one of the the, the big branded training providers, and, and they'll kind of do a, a four or five day showcase of how to pass the the exam. But actually, it's a it's a multiple choice. I think the pass rate is sixty five percent on the foundation right. paper. But it's again a similar a similar thing for me. It's you know it's and, and I've kind of actually written and a, a couple of posts about this, but it's. Yes, it gives a theory, but actually one of the things that recruiters kind of specify or, or on behalf of their clients, of course, is that people must be ISTQB qualified. And you could have someone that's 10 years down the line that has never done the exam, but actually has all the experience versus someone that's, you know, retrained with, you know, and, and this is a problem we had within my company. We had a lot of people retraining, you know, not just from football, but other realms of, of their career. And for me, I, I kind of, identified that yes whilst that is you know one of the preferables and desirables of, a, of any job application and any contract we go for it's also not everything so my team in addition to qualifying as, as 
you know the foundation level there we will go on and do a year's worth of on hand on project study we have access yeah. to live testing environments we have an fno environment and a business central environment that we can go and tweak around and we'll set case studies and we'll work through things in a methodical way and it's again just kind of adding to what you said there i think one thing is the theory but actually it's adding the the real life scenarios to that too i think there's this quite often that dilemma between should I go for, you know, should I acquire experience or should I get certification? We see that in all sorts of walks of life. Even think about somebody playing football. You could play for 10 years in a very amateur way, you know, put your jumper down in the, in the playing field and as long as you've got four jumpers, well, that's two sets of goals and off you go. You could do that for years and, and really never know all the rules of football. And if you were ever to play at a kind of more professional level you'd, you'd be caught out you wouldn't understand the offside rule you wouldn't understand you know, the, the height of the crossbar because you've never had a crossbar or you you could um, go and become a, a referee and study in uh, the referee exams and never have played the game mm-hmm. and i think people at either side of that won't make great footballers and um, you need that combination of knowing the rules which is what certification often teaches us is, is a foundational stuff in the rules and that that real life experience and really do need a combination of things. I do have met a few scrum masters who've never taken a scrum certification and they're awesome. Um, but they tend to have you know, 10, 15 years experience and they've learned it. They've learned those rules the hard way. Um, uh, but they're great to work with and they do bring a lot of experience. Um, but I think you know, doing some of the foundational training and certification accelerates that. Uh, and it means you don't need to spend 10 years in the trenches um, but you, you still probably need a couple of years of hands-on experience before you can call yourself um, a practitioner. Sure. So I think we're in, probably in violent agreement there, Emma, about you know whether it's football or testing or scrum, a, a combination of, of training and experience is, is perfect. Yeah, you're singing both of my languages there. So thank you for segueing in a football uh, analogy. I'm, I'm not mad at that. <laughs> well, I just wanted to bring it round to, to the Matildas uh, and how they're going to go in the World Cup. The last time we spoke, <laughs> I think it was, it was certainly before uh, England, uh, Australia uh, uh, women's teams were going to play. Which uh, um, What was the score, Emma? How did that go? I, I forget, I must say. I do forget. But um, <laughs> I know the Matildas are victorious, I can tell you that. 3 <laughs> 2, I think. And uh, lines, lines the Australian team up nicely for the World Cup. It kicks off here in a couple of months. So excited to see how they go. It will be... Good luck, England, but better luck to Australia. Well, this is it. You, your tide has turned now, isn't it? There's uh, no, no mention of Northern Ireland in this conversation, I'll tell you that. But uh, no, uh, we, can, we, can, we can reconvene in a few months and, um, and, and put the world to rights again, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, who knows who's going to win? So it's probably, you know, we'll, we'll both end up losing to a French team and then we'll both be sucking our, our thumbs. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, to be honest, it's just like we said last time around, and, and thank you for bringing this up again. I, I, gosh, you know, I could wax lyrical about football, but it, I, I think for me, it's just great to see that the evolution is continuing and it's not just kind of you know after the, the olympics in 2012 in london it's not just kind of a one-time thing you know going on yeah. for the successes of summer you know women the england women doing winning the euros the growth is still you know I, I i know that the opening game is australia ireland i believe and They've already sold out capacity of the original stadium and therefore they've actually bumped the stadium to one of a higher capacity. And, and that wow. is it, kind of days quite, it's so far removed from when I kind of grew up. And, you know, even some of the international games I've featured in, it's miles removed from where that was. So, um, yeah, long may it continue. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be an exciting summer. Oh, it's going to be winter here, uh, yeah. summer for you, but <laughs> really looking forward to it. Yeah, but hopefully, I can catch some of the games. Well, maybe that's where England kind of um, get one up on Australia because we're used to the inclement weather. So, uh... <laughs> uh, winter here is is uh, pretty pleasant. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can very much imagine. Yeah, <laughs> tongue in cheek, she says. So finally, can you share any upcoming projects, initiatives, events you're excited to or about or involved with, where our listeners can learn more and engage more with your work? My big dilemma at the moment is I'd love to go to the Microsoft Power Platform conference. It's beginning of October. It's going to be in Vegas this year. I didn't get to go last year. It was in Florida. I had two kids born in Los Angeles. They're dying to go back and, and see some of our friends and, and folks over there. So we're trying to find a, a family holiday. They'll stay in Los Angeles. I'll pop over to Vegas, go to the conference and come back. We just priced it up the other night at $17,000. I don't know what that is in pounds sterling, but it's a lot of money. And It doesn't sound good uh, either way. The, the, <laughs> no, the price of international travel at the moment is outrageous. So I'd love to, to meet you and, and others uh, who might be listening at that conference in October. I'm doing my best to try and get there. Uh, unfortunately, there's not much happening in Australia, and I'm really tempted to try and put one on myself, but that might be next year as well um, in terms of conferences. Uh, other than that, I'm... You know, customary that we've talked about, which is my agile coaching and training business, is really just a, a one day a week passion of mine. My my main business is with the Superware team. Mm -hmm. So we're a Microsoft ISV building a CRM application for the superannuation industry, which is Australia's kind of retirement system. And that's going great. So like I said, we're going to Melbourne next week to go live with the customer and looking forward to that. We've got another one going live in September. And yeah, building that business and, and working with great folks over there. So it's a lot of lot of fun. And you know, we're still working with the local user group here in Brisbane. So we've got a meeting actually going to be in Melbourne uh, when our next meeting is on. Um, but that, that trucks along every month, and it's great to have new speakers and meet the community and share with them my passion for estimating and delivering <laughs> agile. Very good. Yeah, the wanderlust continues. It sounds like. I love it. I don't, how much, I don't know how much uh, you've managed to travel to some of the, the Microsoft conferences that are on around Europe at the moment, Emma. Um, not enough, actually. There's, there's one in Berlin that's kind of taken my hold, but it, we're mm. flitting between some of the software testing ones as well as the Microsoft ones. Yeah. We also have a partner outside of the Microsoft realm in Ceridian, and we are due to attend another partner summit in the UK next month. So, yes, not quite as well travelled as you in terms of events uh, um, participated in but certainly working on it yeah, good. you'll have to let me know if um, you decide to do the one day event in Vegas um, you know I, I never need an excuse to attend a good seminar so um, <laughs> let alone in Vegas so just let, just kind of keep everyone posted on that if you will yeah well done thank you Neil it's been my absolute pleasure to talk with you tonight thank you so much for making the time and for all the rich intel you've shared one of my lines in life and philosophies in life is that if you really know your subject you can communicate it in such a clear and concise way and and gosh you've certainly done that wishing you all the best next week for your launch and thank you again thanks emma it's so much fun i look forward to catching up with you soon pleasure thanks again to those listening thanks for having us if you enjoyed this episode be sure to follow us on your respective streaming platform spotify apple Podcasts, audible whatever it might be have a good one and remember to always make collaboration, culture and integrity priorities if you're looking to succeed, whether that's in life or in business.